Hello and welcome to what is now Season 5 of Pebble in the Pond podcast. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year, ANZMHA hosts several leading mental health conferences which give us the opportunity to connect with incredible industry leaders, lived experience speakers, researchers, academics and frontline workers as they share fascinating stories and projects which are changing the face of mental health within our community. Listen in as we go one-on-one with these inspiring people and dive deep into their work. It is truly a privilege to bring you their stories. Our podcast episodes may contain content which could be triggering for some people. If you need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit the Get Help page on anzmh.asn.au. Join us for Pebble in the Pond each Tuesday and let's get into Season 5. Dr. Brian McKenney is a Clinical Director, Rural and Remote Mental Health Service, Barossa Hills Fluria Local Health Network, South Australia Health. After having an interest in mental health while studying medicine, Dr. McKenney has extensive experience in psychiatry and became an early adopter of telepsychiatry and travelling to rural and remote areas as a travelling mental health professional. Today we speak about the differences in service delivery between rural and remote areas versus the metro areas, as well as the demand and supply of services attracting the workforce of the future and the reasons why he thinks the work is incredibly rewarding. Welcome, Dr. Brian McKenney. Dr. Brian McKenney, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your story with our listeners. Keen to have a chat and get into conversation. Thanks very much, Sam. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for hosting us here in Garnerland here in Adelaide. It's, it's a privilege to have the conference here in South Australia and thanks for hosting us. It's a pleasure. It's a delight to be here. We're we're you know really excited about the conference that we've got in twenty twenty two. So Brian, do you just want to give our listeners a bit of context, a bit of background as it relates to you and your professional career? How did you get into the mental health sector, and yeah, how did you find getting into the space in the first place? Look, it's a it's a bit hard when you're in your mid fifties, as I am now, to you know scratch your head when you're back in medical school, sort of getting a bit of an exposure to different sorts of, of medical practice and, and end up being a director of a service which has you know, covers a million square kilometres and 500,000 yeah, people. It's, it's a big area. And, uh, but look, uh, to go back to, to those medical school days, I, I guess I found those lectures in psychiatry and the social psychological side of medicine, these sort of health outcomes for underprivileged people, the you know, resources that, uh, that we've got to, to try to find ways of helping people with mental health problems. All of that very interesting. And you know, I guess I did reasonably well in that, that part of the course, which is always good when you get that sort of positive encouragement that yeah. you seem to be finding something where there's some aptitude to it. After my intern year, I did a bit of country general practice for about six months up in the Adelaide Hills or out at Strathalban, which was a, a good opportunity. And then I slotted into a psychiatry rotation back in the in the hospital and they sort of seized upon that as being something that I was good at, encouraged me to get into the psychiatry training program. So where were you doing that training? Uh, I did it at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, which is okay. one of the tertiary hospitals in, in Adelaide. And uh, yeah, so I basically spent about eight years doing training and then a, a junior consultant job. And th- then I went and looked after the intensive care area of Glenside Hospital for a couple of years. So that took me into that specialist space where you get a bit of experience. And then from then there was an opportunity in the rural health service that opened up 
initially half time, and I did that yeah. the half time mainly doing telepsychiatry. We have a, I think I was saying at the conference earlier that we started off in 1996 with telepsychiatry services in South Australia, which is one of the early yeah. adopters of it. We had the old Telstra dial-up sort of network, and it was nowhere near the quality that people are familiar with now. But that was exciting times. I joined in about the turn of the century and spent 10 years doing that and a bit of private practice and a bit of country visiting out to my friends in the Coorong, out to, to Meningi and, uh, and those sort of places out, out there as, a, as part of a visiting doctor yeah, uh, arrangement. So that yeah. kind of that kind of occupied me pretty happily for about ten years. Mate, you've done a fair bit. I mean, you've certainly yeah broad mm. spectrum of the. Um, I mean, when when you look at it, like did, were you, was your were your family in a mental health space? Were they GPs? No, they, no, no, that's it. Just no, randomly wanted to be. Well, I I wouldn't have known what a psychiatrist was during medical school until they started giving lectures about it. I mean, I I had yeah, a right. I, I don't have come from a medical family uh, per se, but I got a couple of cousins who okay. a bit older than me who got into being doctors, and they said, look, the best you know one of the big advantages of doing medicine or any sort of health thing, really, uh, as a lot of uh, your listeners would uh, would agree, is there's lots of opportunities. Yeah. You know, there's lot you can go in lots of different directions, uh, and I think. Uh, a lot of people end up, you know, the job finds them, you know, and yeah. I was always reasonably balanced with, you know, the maths and sciences side of it and also the English and the and the, art, uh, the artistic sort of elements of, or more creative sort of elements of uh, of academic sort of work. So it was, an, it was a good fit for me. How did you go as it relates to the differences between, between being a service provide provisions in, in the metro and then going out to regional, rural, remote areas of Australia, South Australia, how did you find the differences in service delivery? It's it's definitely challenging to, to get out to the rural and remote regions. And I found that sort of experience of working in a, a consultation liaison model with other hospital service providers. I did a lot of work with cancer services the, in, the, in the hospital. And that sort of assessment providing recommendations Know, building those relationships with the other workers that translated very well to working with the GPs in this sort of space, and that was uh, that was really important. So going out, working wherever you went in in country South Australia, really take my hat off to the GPs who cover a lot yeah. of those uh, critical critical needs, and they're, they're the centre point, and we basically support them. So I would see patients face to face, but also have time to discuss problems with uh, with the GPs, and also have that link back to Adelaide, which was still home base, of course, and, yeah. and using the video conference systems to, to set that up. And that, you know, that worked very well. It still does. The challenges that you've seen over the years, have they changed as it relates to service provisions in rural and remote areas? And if so, has it gotten better? Look, I think the biggest change, or the two changes that spring to mind, one would be we've got some, we have three new integrated mental health units in the Riverland, up at Wyala, and down at Mount Gambier. And those, having those sort of regional focus for us, which occurred in about 2014, yep. 15, and they've been built up over the years and have been very sort of successful innovations. And that's changed the, the dynamic a bit, having some regional centres to, to work with. And the second point of, was obviously COVID, which has changed things for everybody yeah. in the last three years. And that's, you know, that, that has reinforced the need for video conference. And a lot of people who are a bit sceptical about where we were in that space have obviously adopted, everyone's adopted uh, video conferencing yeah. uh, as a, a, almost a, a way of doing business. Tell us, what do you think as it relates to rural and remote mental health service 
provisions and access to service. What, what do you think is working over your time that you've been involved in it? What do you think are the things that are really working well? Having the GPs having an access to specialist appointments is has been something that we've been focusing on. Obviously, that's yeah. only a part of the pie. I yeah. mean, it's a small part of the pie, but it's still a critical way. Because the way the system's been set up is yeah. you know, to access specialist services through GPs. We have our phone lines and, uh, and our, uh, our support services, and I acknowledge that there are lots of other groups who are providing those sort of services as well. So what sets us apart, I guess, is that we're at the, the pointy end of that triangle where uh, when, when everybody else feels the person needs tertiary specialist level of care, that, that sort of comes to us in South Australia for, for everything outside of Adelaide. So to get back to your question, what, what works well, I, I mean, I think those, those medical models have proven effective, but the access is still challenging for people. And you know, accessing specialists, even in the city, for private practitioners and for, for us in the public space, you know, the demand uh, for services and, and access exceeds the supply and continues to be a major problem for everybody. It's a big one, isn't it? I mean, there is only so much bandwidth that practitioners have. Mm. And uh, I mean, they're up against it. What do you, as far as attracting, recruiting the workforce goes, what do you think we heard some solutions today. What do you think moving forward would be some good opportunities to grow the sector or the workforce? I mean, I think you need enough people to develop that morale and that sense of making a difference. I mean, it's very satisfying work helping people on their journey yeah. with, with mental health. People get better. People make you know, massive changes in their lives, and, and it's a privilege to be a sort of part of that. And I guess as a, as a system leader, as a clinical director, my job's to enable other clinicians to be able to do their best work and that's part of that governance sort of structure that that we have that we want to give the best sort of treatment to the the right people at the right time and preferably as close to home as possible so we don't want to have to fly everybody to adelaide for for specialist care We, we need to develop those services more more locally you know, in terms of the challenges that you mentioned before, we've got some significant challenges with our ageing workforce for, for nursing staff in South Australia, and I, I suspect more broadly, a lot of our nursing staff have got into mental health, and for whatever reason, it's, it hasn't been as popular for other people to, to join, and they're, they're starting, especially post-COVID, they're starting to take their they're starting to take their long service leave and uh, an annual leave and, and, and sort of exit the service. In terms of other challenges for the workforce, we've got problems with competing against private providers, often supplied by, you know, funded through the NDIS, who are offering some better terms and conditions regionally, which is, uh, which is challenging to us because of the state flexibility. Well, the, 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 the acts, uh, sort of the industrial, sort of how much people can be paid, sort of limited by state uh, awards and so forth. And Private providers can offer uh, right. more flexibility, which uh, when you're competing for a talent, uh, pool. A talent pool is uh, is a challenge for yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things to rural and remote communities and the challenges they're facing. We touched on them a fair bit today as it relates to natural disasters, demand for services, access to services of the workforce, GP's role, long waiting lists, gap payments, emergency departments, stigma around going to it. I mean, navigating the services 
FIFO, like there's so many moving parts to this, isn't there? That's right. And uh, we're nodding our heads and I'm sure a lot of the listeners yeah. are, are nodding their heads to, to, a, to that list that you just gave. But look, it is, it's, it's interesting, it's rewarding. You've got to keep your eye on the fact that you know, people are improving in their lives, making a difference. And that's uh, that's a message that we all have to remind ourselves to prevent ourselves, you know, getting burnt out and getting demoralised. And the last thing we need is a sort of a demoralised workforce who are trying to help other people. Brian, you're, you're leading the clinical service, which covers what, a million square kilometres. Mm. I mean, it's no easy feat. It's a massive area with people sparsely populated between mm. in that distance. What's the best way to achieve that and to try and do your best to have the most successful outcomes for patients in that? Look, it's uh, it's building relationships. You know, it's, whether it's relationships with the GPs, it's our relationship with the lived experience workforce that's you know, that's emerging, community leader. There's lots of people putting their hand up in this space yeah. who, who want to make a difference. We've, we've got good links with our country primary health network, you know, the country PHN in South Australia. There's, there's a whole range of, of those relationships that kind of, we need to get the right sort of help for, for the right people at the right time. Look, it's never going to be perfect. And that's the way of you know, human societies and, you know, and communities. But look, I think with the decreasing stigma overall for, for people putting their hand up with mental health problems, I think that's really been helpful. It was a massive problem when I started, obviously, 20 years ago in this space. I, I have seen differences. You know, I have seen that so change over time. Yeah, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it is much more commonly reported now. You know, it's not not perfect. There are still going to be yeah. particularly you know challenges for for someone who's going along to the local hospital where they know some of the local people, and all of that is is tough. But at the end of the day, I think we are making some headway in that space. What do you think excites you most about the future as it looks to where we can be going with this and what lies ahead? What's what's something that you think? look? I, I really get enthused by the younger people who are coming through. You know, we've got some some great young psychiatrists. We've got some yeah. some you know the medical school people are more interested in mental health. We we you know when I started we would have sort of just enough people interested in doing psychiatry training as there were positions. Now you know, we can attract. You know the best fifty percent who you know that's oversubscribed in terms of wow. an interest in in being a being a psychiatrist in South Australia, which is which is good, and the quality of people we got to you know are, you know they, in terms of the being a doctor and a senior doctor I guess in the system and and looking at the younger younger people coming through you you can't help but be impressed by the you know the vast majority of, of people and. Similarly, you know I think it's encouraging governments are starting to make more noises about funding mental health. We've got a big challenge to compete against the rest of physical medicine for our share of the pie. And I've always always liked Pat McGuire's quote of that we've got, whether it's 14% or 20% of the disease burden and 7% of the funding. Yeah, right. we need to we need to grab our fair share in mental health, and we we shouldn't be shy about saying that. Yeah, you know, people people in the health system are rewarded for you know, handsomely for you know fixing a knee or you know, cutting out you know, a, a, something that that's on the you know, on your skin or whatever it might be, or taking pictures in a radiologist sort of sense. There's all of that physical medicine stuff, but the but the disease burden for mental health is significant and. If you're talking about it in, in sort of illness terms, then that's a, a major 
the thing that we that excites me to sort of get our share of those resources. And then it's that building the community links that's just so important. And I think, you know, we've really learned in the time that I've been in this space, the value of community consultation, community engagement, and getting the, you know, the lived experience, peer workforce, all of these uh, groups who are doing such a, a hard work and a good job in you know, making benefits to the system. So it's not just a medical system. And as it relates to the treatment of mental ill health, in a, as it relates to psychiatry, are there any particular advancements that you're quite excited about as coming forward? We've been a bit stalled, uh, really, since I started training in the 90s. So we had new medications for schizophrenia, new, new antidepressants that were a lot safer, less side effects. But since the turn of the century, we haven't had a breakthrough, really, of significance in terms of yeah. medication that's pretty much been the same. We've refined our treatments for electric and convulsive therapy, ECT. So that's there's been some small gains in terms of the way we do things and better evidence base for what what's the best for, for patients. There are other things like TMS, uh, transcranial ma- ma- magnetic stimulation. That's been, that's been helpful. Ketamine and some of the hallucinogens are yeah. interesting space at the moment. So that, that's definitely revived, aren't they? that's getting that's getting some traction. Yeah, and there, there's definitely some some value there. And we're still trying to sift through where the best evidence base for for what works. All of that is is of interest. But you know, we I'm just waiting for that next sort of yeah. next generation of breakthrough that we we need. Yeah, and get the research in as well. That's right. I mean, look, some of the research that's required for this is yeah, you know, that, you know, billions of dollars worth of worth of stuff. But sometimes the the breakthroughs come from unexpected sources. You know, yeah. so you never you, if you're doing the basic research and you and you're keeping your eyes and brain open to possibilities, you you never know. Tell me, Brian. Look, how how are we going as it relates to trying to meet the of our First Nations Indigenous? communities in South Australia particularly, I guess, think it's getting better? Do you think we're involving them a lot more in the conversation and getting culturally tailored programs out there? Where where do you think that's at? Look, I think COVID has sort of put a lot of sort of things where we were. We thought we were making some headway there. It seemed to be put on hold and we need to reinvigorate that work. You know, we we are lacking some people with the skill set that we need to we need to identify people that we can help train up. We need to get better at doing that. We've got some great people, but it's very patchy. Yeah. And I think there is big opportunities for, for us to make some headway in that area. Look, there, there's lots of great relationships with people in the APY lands and, and Nanapa Health who who are often really, well, they're based in Nala Springs for the for head office, but they're yeah. extensively through the lands. Well, I've got a couple of psychiatrists who've been going there for uh, 10 years plus you know, on on regular visits and okay. uh, and link with their workers and the they've got a mental health worker for the eastern part of the lands and the western part of the lands and they link with a psychiatrist when needed so that combined with visits so so we have a pretty um, strong involvement with with them in terms of the rest of the state's services obviously Pickaware and Port Augusta is a uh, an important part that we've had uh, a lot of involvement with as well they've had their ups and downs and complexities yeah. and a lot of the Aboriginal controlled organisations, you know, they, they've, had, they've had some challenges in workforce themselves, of course. So we obviously want to work to make that situation better. But, you know, it, it's a, it remains a work in progress, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. If you look at your role, what's been probably the biggest challenge you've had to contend with in your role as clinical lead? Look, I think 
try to get that focus away from having everything sorted out in Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a, we are a big country town and a lot of people, a lot of doctors like to like to work in Adelaide and, and you can get around more easily and, and having that constant sort of sense that we need to keep our eyes outward yeah. rather than inward. It's almost like that anti-gravity sort of thing that, you, yeah. that I've got to keep fighting. In, in a whole way, you know, in the way we think and the way we travel and the way we, we work and those regional centres I mentioned briefly earlier help, have helped sort of balance some of that gravity away, but, but that remains a, it's a psychological thing as much as anything else. Are you seeing a bit of a shift, especially since COVID, around population moving to regional areas more so than the city or less so? I think it's a bit hard to, for me to say at the yeah. moment. Yes, it's, look, the South Australian population in countries aging. A lot of young people tend to leave and yeah. come to Adelaide and, and go to some larger centres. But, you know, we're, we're obviously hoping that the sort of the economy for some of those regions you know, picks up and you start to attract some younger families and some younger people to go out there. Yeah. We spoke briefly today around the importance of trying to get some educational opportunities to come to regional rural areas so that people don't have to leave mm. to get that education and training. Do you think that's something that's certainly in the pipeline? That do you, do you agree that that's probably one of the solutions? And and then how would we go about trying to attract? You'd almost have to get a group of people to make it worthwhile, wouldn't you, in an area to try and yeah. get that training out there so they'd have to leave. Yeah, I mean, you need to marry that sort of economic education, yeah. social side of things. We, you know, we, we there are these sort of examples of of people that that come along who link in with the local community, meet somebody if they're younger, settle down. And that, that's really where, where we need to kick yeah. goals. As, we, as you look to your role and where you're heading in the future, what's, what are you got in store? What yes, well, look, I've been a director for, for 12 years, I think it is. And look, I've enjoyed my, my time and I've got a few more years on my, you know, two or three more years on my current contract. And then I suppose I've, I've got to take a responsibility. I've got to mentor some someone yeah. to come and take get my place. And look, I'd like to do I'd like to do more to sort of travel to regional areas rather than you know be be office bound. Though, mind you, I can run my department off my phone these days, which I don't think I would have been able to do twenty year twenty years ago. So that's probably not a not a great excuse. But look, I've I've sort of enjoyed my career. It's been fascinating and challenging, and we'll we'll just see how that, where that takes me. Brian, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can reach you if they have any questions or want to touch base? You look, it's a, a pretty easy email address yep. that most people can work out. So brian.mckenny, which I'm sure you can uh, yep. spill out or it'll be available on, on the website yep. at sa.gov.au. So happy for people to reach. And anyone who wants to come and live and work in country South Australia, very much welcome. There you go. Yes. A beautiful spot. People, I mean, they're so, so accepting and accommodating here in South Australia. Great community, mate. It's been a pleasure to be able to bring the conference here and, and share these, these insights and get people connected in rural and remote, from rural and remote areas together at the conference. And Brian, I appreciate your role at the conference and having a chat. Thanks, Sam. And thanks for inviting me and welcome to the opportunity. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. And if you know someone working in mental health that you'd like to see featured on the podcast, please email any suggestions to us at membership at anzmh.asn.au. 
You can also stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next episode with you next week.